Well, it's good to be with you, and um, Sunday morning, Pastor will be back with us again. It's Father's Day. You heard Pastor Tim mention that a few moments ago, and it's going to be a very, very exciting day. I encourage you to get people here with you. So we're going to have a lot of fun together, and we're going to be challenged in our worship. We're going to be challenged in the message. So I'm looking forward to uh, Sunday. You know, certain times as we reflect over our lives, certain years are like mile markers in our lives, and I don't know how you sort of approach it when you go back and just try to, okay, where was I? What was I doing? And a lot of times I remember for me when I'm reflecting upon a particular year or age in my life, I often, do you ever do it? You assign it based on a school teacher that you had. I know that in my very first grade, um, I had Mrs. Duncan. I can remember exactly what Mrs. Duncan looked like. I can remember some of her habits and mannerisms and how she tried to keep us all in line. And I remember Mrs. Clark and on and on. But what year really stands out for me is fifth grade. By this time, and a lot of you uh, know that I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, but at this particular time, uh, we had just moved down to Valdosta, Georgia. Larry, you know that's about 45, 50 miles from uh, the big town of Moultrie. And so that area, although it was unfamiliar to my mom and to us kids, it was certainly familiar to dad. We were living there, and fifth grade just stands out to me for a lot of different reasons. It was in fifth grade that I remember breaking my elbow, not just slightly breaking my elbow. I remember breaking, breaking my elbow. How many of you have already had dinner? Can I just see your hand? You've already had dinner, so I'll be careful how I describe it because I don't want you to have to take off running. But basically, my arm went in, popped in, and so I've got this arm folded down the way it was supposed to, had a long sleeve shirt on, and my arm, my right arm is just the way. I'm sort of down on the ground. This arm is the way it's supposed to be, but this arm is sticking out the other direction. So I remember sort of picking my arm up, and you know, because I'm I'm 10 years old. I can remember running inside. Mom and dad is still inside. And I can remember running up to the dinner table. I wanted to get back outside to play with my friends. And so I remember walking up to the dining room table and I said, Mom, 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 Dad, 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 I broke my arm. Well, apparently I had cried wolf way too many times. And so I, I looked at them, and I said, I'm not kidding, I, I broke my arm, and they're like, yeah, 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 and I did, I can remember this so vividly, I did like this, I'm holding it, mom's sitting here, dad's sitting sort of the head of the table, I'm standing right between them, I said, I'm telling you, I broke my arm, yeah, 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 you broke your arm, and I just sort of let it go like that, and the way it flopped around, sort of like a dead chicken, my mom turned white, she about passed out, Kitty, get him to the hospital, and I remember, that's all in fifth grade, I remember in fifth grade, my BB gun, my Red Rider BB gun being taken away from me because of misbehavior, and we'll leave that out of the equation for tonight's time. I can remember it was in fifth grade that Angie Humphrey, who lived across the street from us, I was not allowed to have a motorcycle. My parents were not very fond of me even getting on a motorcycle, but Angie Humphrey had a little bitty Indian motorcycle, and I so badly wanted to ride it, and I beg her. I mean, it's, it's embarrassing looking back now how I would beg Angie, please, 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 let me ride your motorcycle. Let me ride it. Let me ride it. I don't see my mom or dad. Let me ride it. And apparently, Angie never read the story in the Bible about the little boy who shared his loaves and his fish because she just would not let me ride her motorcycle no matter what. But it was in Pine Grove Elementary School. Mrs. Surface was my teacher. Uh, looking back, I was like the class pet, and I still don't know how that worked out because that generally didn't happen for me in school. But this particular year, I was. And I can remember, you know, getting some preferential treatment that year. I can remember so many things about that. Mrs. Surface was so kind, and she really loved her students. She really wanted to invest in our lives. And I can remember one particular project. We had a big open field out behind our elementary school, Pine Grove Elementary School. And so our project was to go out there, and we had these, each of us had these little bitty pine trees. I don't even want to know what you call a baby pine tree. You probably do. I don't. Uh, I'm from Atlanta. We didn't plant a lot of pine trees on concrete. We had them around. But in Valdosta, Georgia, this open field, we went, and we planted these little pine trees. And I can remember we got the dirt just right, put them, and we got it. And then Mrs. Surface, before we went back into the classroom, she said, you know what? These little pine trees that we have planted today, 
She said, they're going to grow, and as you grow, they're going to grow, and they're going to grow to become tall and strong and beautiful and fully mature pine trees. And you could come back one day, Mrs. Surface said. You could come back one day, and you could look, and these are going to be nothing like they look right now. Well, um, we didn't live in Valdosta all that long. I finished up fifth grade. We moved back to Atlanta. I never, I never went back to that elementary school. I can remember uh, just two or three years before my dad passed away, which hasn't been that long ago, I can remember uh, saying to dad, dad, I'd really love to drive over and let's ride over and see Pine Grove Elementary School. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, you know, see the school. And um, I'd already, you know, been back to my grandparents' home uh, many times. They lived in Valdosta too. How many of you ever had this experience when you were growing up as a kid? You think that you, you thought that your grandparents had this massive, massive yard like the size of three football fields. How many of you remember that? And then you go back and see it and you're like, this tiny little yard, how did it shrink over time? And it's like not nearly as big as you thought it would be. And so I said to dad, Let's go back over to Pine Grove Elementary School. I'd like to see the school, and I, I want to see those pine trees. And he said, got some bad news about that. Say they tore your school down a long time ago. I guess they had developed a community back in there. And I'm like, well, I never got to see those pine trees that we had planted. Now, life and growth is really, really important to God. And life and growth, I think all of us would agree, is so much more exciting and energizing than stagnation is. I always look forward, and because we're nearing it, I'm looking forward again to our annual uh, beach vacation. And it's grown over the years. Um, you know, Jairus and I initially, it was just four of us, and then Audrey came along. We were going to the same place every year before Audrey ever came along. And uh, so we've just kept going back and back every year, same time, same condominium, back, same beach. And, and now Audrey, here she is, uh, 22, and about, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound like her now. i got to figure it out, Thursday, Friday. All right, in 17 days, she's going to get married. Now, that's how she's been talking. In 20 days, in 19, and I'm talking about it for a different reason. She talks about it because her wedding day is nearing. I talk about it. I'm starting to count down now because on her wedding day, she comes off of my payroll, and the third and final child is off of my payroll. How many of you remember that? And I'm sort of, I'm not excited about her getting married, but I am excited about having her off my payroll. And so our family's just grown, you know, over the years. And, you know, Audrey came, now it's five, and then Brent gets married, now it's six, and then Drew, and then the grandkids. And so now, and so it's, it's become bigger and bigger. But, you know, it's exciting. We have a great time. It's on the East Coast, and I just love sort of the energy of the waves on the East Coast. And taking out Sea-Doo and being on the boogie boards and stuff. And there's just a lot of energy and excitement. So we find ourselves anticipating that as many of you anticipate your vacations. I think one writer said it well. Not many people, listen to this statement, not many people plan a vacation to the Dead Sea. Isn't that true? Not a lot of people say, well, I'm going this year. Whatever it takes, we're going we're gonna to go to the Dead Sea and just hang out and look at the Dead Sea. Because we like life, don't we? And we like vitality, and we like energy, and we like growth. We like to grow. I love this story. Small boy wants to grow taller and stronger so he can play with his older siblings. As he approaches the crazy time of puberty, he wants to grow whiskers like his dad. He graduates from college, and he wants a growing career. He reaches middle, middle age, and he wants to see his nest egg, his retirement fund, really grow. I like this next part. And then later, when he becomes a very old man, he wants to grow wings so that he doesn't have to walk so far anymore. He still wants to grow, but in a different kind of way. So what does the Bible say about spiritual growth? That's what we're going to talk about uh, tonight. We're going to spend a little time doing it. And I want us to do it by looking at four verses, and I'll go ahead and give it away right up front. We're going to look at four verses, sort of the text, and then before we're done, sort of the second half of this talk, this message, uh, we'll make some application. What do we do with what we've heard? You know, what do we do with the Word of God? How do we make it applicable for our life? So first verse, here it is right up here on the screen, 
and I'd love it if you would read it with me. I know right now it says, let's grow, but there's a verse that is coming up, I promise, right there it is. All right, 1 Peter 2.2, I need your help. Everybody read it with me. Be like newborn babies, always thirsty for the pure spiritual milk, so that by drinking it, you may grow up and be saved. What are those two highlighted words there? What are those words? Grow up, grow up, be like a newborn baby. This is what the Apostle Peter, this great church leader, is writing. And uh, we know how that he just had his encounter with Jesus and his disciple and sort of walked away, sort of denied Jesus three times, came back, became this rock-solid leader uh, in the early church. Dad Pentecost, we know his story, people coming to Christ by the, by the hundreds. And so it's, it's this guy that is saying, you know what, as it relates to growing up, here's what I want you to be like. I want you to be like a newborn baby when it's time for the baby to drink their milk. As I mentioned to you just a moment ago, as a dad to three kids, you know, it, it's been one of the highlights of my life is to be a dad. Among anything else that I've done, uh, it's, it's like in the top, it's in the top uh, categories of just something that I've so enjoyed. And I've enjoyed the different stages, but really, again, sort of reflecting back, I really like the baby stage. I like the babies. I liked it when they were really, really small. For one thing, uh, when they're babies, how many of you know that when our children were babies, they had not lost their mind yet? They hadn't lost their mind yet. They eventually do. How many of you would agree with that? They eventually do, but when they're a baby, they've not lost their mind yet. You could just hold them in your arms, and you could talk to them. And here's the neat thing about when they're really small, you can hold them in your arms, and you can talk to them, but they can't even talk back yet. They learn that later, don't they? But when they're little, they don't, you can talk to them, and they're not even talking back. And then they get really hungry as they're a baby. We know that stage, and you'd have to entertain them while their bottle is being prepared. We all know that. And you're just trying to keep them occupied, and you're like, hurry, they're hungry, they're hungry. Uh, get the bottle ready. And they're crying, and they're crying louder. And you're like, you know, please hurry. They're really a little louder. You're saying it. But then that bottle finally arrives, and all this crying and all this fussing, as soon as you put it in that baby's mouth, there's like complete silence, isn't there? The only thing you hear, and I can't make the noise, but uh, you put that bottle in their mouth, silence for a moment, and then if you're really quiet, you hear that. Go, 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 go. They're, they're just knocking that bottle down. And they're just hungry, and the satisfaction, I mean, in that moment, it's like crying loud, chaos. That bottle goes in their mouth, silence. I think we know what a lot of times happens not too long after that. If you've been a parent, generally speaking, they're going to destroy a diaper. Is that all right to say on a Wednesday night? They're going to destroy a diaper, and there's been many times when I've held that baby, and I'm, I'm realizing what is happening, and I'm like, oh, you want your mommy now? Oh, yeah, I know. You want your mommy, sure, and here's, here's the baby. Well, the Apostle Peter, who is the writer of this verse, is saying, and this is what we cannot miss, he's saying this, if you sincerely want to grow spiritually, and how many of you want that for your life? I know it's rhetorical because all of us want that. Peter said, here's the way that you grow spiritually. You need to develop the appetite for the Bible that is likened to a baby that is intensely jealous or zealous and eager for milk at feeding time. And you, if you're going to grow, this is what Peter is saying. Again, he's been inspired by the Holy Spirit. He's breathed upon to write this. He said, you want to grow up? And, and all of the listeners said, yeah, we want to grow. We want to become, you know, pattern after the likeness of Jesus. We don't like where we're at. We want to grow. And he'd say, all right, here's what you got to do. If you're going to grow up spiritually, the apostle Peter's like, let me give you an analogy. You ever seen a baby hungry for their milk? And then Peter's like, that's what I'm talking about. You've got to be that hungry for the Word of God if you're going to grow. We'll come back to that. Second verse. You did great last time. Help me out. Second verse. Here we go. Let's read it. Help me out. Grow in your knowledge of God. So it tells us a kind of appetite to have. Now, this is not the Apostle Peter 
any longer. This is like Paul, and we all know about Paul, this incredible uh, leader in the early church and how that God used him among the Gentiles. We know his story. And so he's saying, all right, you want to grow. Like, yeah, we want to grow. Then here's how you grow. Grow in your knowledge of God. Now, the apostle Paul writes this, and what is his challenge? It's really, really important. Because a lot of times, if we're not careful, we'll get confused on this matter. He said, to grow in your knowledge of God does not mean, catch this now, it does not mean to merely study about God. How many of you know, I'm not being judgmental here, I'm not, I'm I'm really not, but I'm just making an observation. How many of you know people that know a lot about God, but they're not serving Jesus? They have head knowledge. They know about God. They studied about God. In fact, they may not be a follower of Jesus at all. They may not claim. They may even be borderline agnostic or atheist, but uh, they make no claims about being a follower of Jesus. But truth be told, a lot of people like that, they know more about God in terms of a theological realm than we do. So, so Paul is not talking about, when you're growing in your knowledge of God, he's not talking about just merely studying about God or having a basic understanding of, of God's divine activity in human's life. It is not a religious knowledge that is disconnected from real life that he's talking about. Well, here's what Paul is talking about, and you've got to catch this. He's talking about not just having it all up in our head where we know, we know, and we know more than somebody else knows, and they know more. It's not that. What Paul is talking about here is he is talking about a steady transformation of our character. It's not like just so that I can recite what I know about God or impress people with what I know about God. It's not that at all. It's that I may know about God in order that God might transform my character that I may grow in the likeness of Jesus. Does this make sense to you? And this flows out of our desire to please God. And, you know, uh, we want to please God. We want to grow in God. We want to say, hey, God, I'm, you know, I'm, I've come a long way than from where I was, but I'm not content to just stay where I'm at, and I want to grow in your likeness, and I want to become more like you, and I want to know about you. I want to grow in your knowledge. I want, to, I want my character to be transformed. We'll come, uh, we'll come to something toward the end of this message that you'll see that, and you and I can be used as like a marker, like a mile marker on how are we growing in our relationship with God, but grow in your knowledge of God. So Peter's talking about, you want to grow? All right, here's how you do it. Just have the appetite of a baby in regards to how they crave their milk. And then Paul says, Paul says, grow in your knowledge of God, your understanding of God. Know how God wants to be relatable to your life so that here's what is occurring. You are progressively being transformed in your character. You're becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, here's that word. We've all heard it, sanctification, and we make sanctification way more complex than it ought to be. We hear sanctification, we're like, what? Sanctif- what, what does that even mean? Sanctification basically means this, that I am progressively becoming more and more like Jesus. So if a person says, when I was growing up and I was a kid, I'd hear this term, something like this, are you sanctified? I'd be like, I don't know. I don't even know what it means. So I, but it's progressively becoming more and more like the image of Jesus. All right, so we're talking about spiritual growth. Third verse. Help me out again, please. This is Paul still. Third, third verse. Your faith is growing more and more. Your faith is growing. How do I know that I'm growing spiritually? My faith is growing more and more. But how many of you understand that on some days our faith is gargantuan and some days, do you ever feel this way? I do. My faith is microscopic. Isn't it amazing how we do that? Some days I just have, I just have major, major faith. You know how you and I generally have major faith? You and I, generally speaking, we have major faith for somebody else. A lot of times we have microscopic faith when it relates to our own life. Is that not true? Do you find it easier to believe God and trust God to have faith for somebody else's need than you do your own? Typically speaking, we do. 
And it's just growing in faith. And so some days you and I are going to have this massive amount of faith. Other days we're going to be like the guy. You remember this guy and Jesus wanted to touch his son and his son has all kind of problems going on in his life. And Jesus is like, do you want me to heal him? Do you want me to touch him? Yes, it's my son. I love him. I care about him. I want you to touch. I want you to heal my son. Here's all the things that's been going on in his life. And Jesus is like trying to find out where his faith level is. And Jesus is like, do you believe? And this is, this is how he responds. And this guy so like, I don't know if he's like you, but he's a lot like me or I'm a lot like him, however that works. This guy looks back at Jesus and he says this. I've said it a million times. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Have you ever been there? Maybe you're there in your life right now where you're looking at something that is so staggering and so daunting to you, and it's just like, man, this is a giant that is staring me down. And I know God. I have a knowledge of God. I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry for God in his word. But this is so big. This is so massive. I, I want to believe, but God, you're going to have to increase my faith. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And Paul is writing to these believers who live in Thessalonica. He's saying, you know what? I want you to grow. You know, he's already said to a group, a different group of Christ followers, I want you to grow in your knowledge of God. I want your character to be transformed, not just in your head, but in your heart. You're being changed. You're being morphed into the image of Jesus. Now he's saying, I want your faith to grow. I want your faith to grow. Back to fifth grade. How many of you remember where I was living in fifth grade? Anybody remember where I was living? Valdosta, Georgia. Is that North Georgia or South Georgia? Yeah, right. You've gotten a ticket driving through Valdosta before, you know, because everybody's gotten a ticket, right, driving through Valdosta at some point in time, which this is a whole side note. I don't even, I don't, it's, it's a rabbit trail, therefore I'm not going to chase it. But somebody told me the other day, they said to me, Jeff, why is it? I think you know what football team I sort of like. It's sort of around Georgia, Athens specifically. And they said to me, they said to me, why is it that all the highway patrol cars in Georgia are orange and blue? That just hurt me. That just hurt. I don't know the answer to that. It does not seem right to me, but that's how it is. So back to fifth grade, living in Valdosta, Georgia. My mom, who has grown up in the city her whole life, she's a North Georgia gal, not a South Georgia gal. But mom, I can remember this. Remember how our backyard looked, big backyard, but a portion of it was fenced in. So mom decides that she's going to plant a garden. Now let me tell you this about my mom. My mom was smart. My mom was witty. My mom was great in so many, so many different aspects of her life. Mom had no business planting a garden. She just had no business planting a garden. And Paul here is using sort of an agricultural metaphor. He's saying, I want you to grow in, I want you to grow in your faith. I want your faith to be expanding. Yeah, you're going to have days when you're going to look at a daunting circumstance. You're going to be like the man crying out to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. But he's talking about our faith. We're growing in God. And because we're growing in God, our faith is getting stronger. We have seen God answer prayer. Isn't that a great thing when God answers prayer in one area? Next time we have a challenge, we can trust God more because we've seen God come through in the past and God comes through and we know that it may not be on our calendar, but God comes through and God comes through. And so our faith is expanding and growing. So mom decides she's going to plant this garden. Again, I don't know why. She had no business doing that. I don't even remember what she planted except for one thing. Mom planted in her garden pumpkins. I have no idea why. I mean, you would have thought, maybe she did, and I just don't remember it because the pumpkins were so pronounced and what they did was horrific, but I don't remember there being tomatoes or green beans or okra. I don't remember any corn. I, don't, I just remember mom growing pumpkins, and I didn't think about it at the time, but as I got older, I'm like, first of all, she had no business planting a garden. Secondly, thought, I have no idea, pumpkin. We, we didn't eat pumpkins. I never remember eating a pumpkin pie. Why did mom, but here's the reason I remember the pumpkins, is because they took over the garden. I know about as much about agriculture as my mom does, which is Zippo, but I mean, for some reason, it just took over everything. It was like an agricultural virus. 
And it just started taking over everything. And I'd walk out there as a kid, and I'd look, and I'd be like, wow, what's going on there? And then I can remember coming back like a week later, and it had grown up the side of our fence. And I'm like, what's going on? And then about a week later, it's grown down the other side of our fence. And then I kid you not, I'm not making this up. I went out one day, and these pumpkin vines had grown out of the garden, over the fence, down the other side of the fence, and out into our neighbor's yard. And fortunately, they were good neighbors, and they would have been like, hey, what's up with the pumpkins here? And it's like Paul is saying, I want your faith to be like that. I want your faith to be expansive. When Paul tells us about a faith that is growing, he is not describing here an isolated plant. He is not doing that. But what he is talking about right here is a wide dispersal of faith that is at work within us. And are we going to have those days when we're just like, Lord, I believe, I believe, I believe, but help me because I'm struggling to believe. Help my unbelief. And haven't you noticed that when that man said that to Jesus, Jesus didn't rebuke him. Jesus didn't scold him. Jesus didn't say, you're a bad Christian. He's like, Jesus got it. And Jesus gets it on those days when we're like, Lord, I really believe. And those days when we're just getting on our knees, maybe we've got tears rolling down our faith. And God, we want to believe you. We want to trust you. You know what's going on in our family. You know what's going on in our finances. God, you know what's going on in our health. You know what's going on at work. God, we really want to believe, but help our unbelief. And Paul says, you know, you're growing in God. Part of one of the indicators, one of the indicators, we're growing in our knowledge of God. We're being transformed into the image of Jesus. Our faith is growing. We're trusting God more and more and more. All right, fourth section of scriptures, actually two verses. Look at this with me. We're going to read a little bit more here. Help me out. Let's all read it together. This is still Paul, now a different group of believers. And he said this, because some of you will remember. In fact, let me do a timeout right here and uh, just catch you up to speed, a little bit of background right here. What is going on right here is, is these different believers, these different followers of Jesus are saying like, you know what, I follow Apollos. I, that's, that's my guy. I follow Apollos. And then this one says, no, no, this is the person. I follow Paul. And, and so they've got this where they're sort of falling into these factions. How many of you remember reading about that in the Bible? And I'm, I'm like after, I like him. He's my guy and he's my guy. And so Paul is going to sort of get this settled. And he says this. He said, I planted the seed, help me out, and Apollos watered it, but God is the one who made it. So the one who plants, and he's already said, I'm the guy who planted, the one who plants is not important, and the one who waters it, and it's not just a reference to Apollos, but it's a reference to the others as well, is not important. Let's pick up here, sorry. And the one who waters it is not important. Only God who makes things grow is important. Who makes things grow? God does. God does. God is the one that makes things grow. Unless you just say, glad to know that because I'm off the hook. Nope, you're not off the hook. Neither am I. We're not off the hook. Well, only God makes things grow. And that is true. Only God makes things grow. But this that we just read together has to be uh, foundational to our thinking in response to God. Now, we're about to get into this, and I'll just hit it real quickly before we're done tonight. But let it be clear to all of us that in a spiritual growth process, we bear, hear this, please, we bear a measure of responsibility ourselves. Paul's saying, you know, I planted the Paul's water, but God's the one who makes things grow. God is the one who makes things grrow. But he would not negate the reality that you and I have our own responsibility. God, in a sense, think about it this way. God, in a sense, frees us up to do the front-end work. By that, I mean we can't be lazy. We can't be apathetic. We can't be undisciplined. We can't be selfish and expect God to grow us. It's like God's the one that makes things grow. But how many of you know that you and I have to be compliant with God? We've got to work with God. If we're not working with God, we're not going to grow. It's not like you and I could say, and this will make perfect sense to you, it's not like you and I can say, well, God, it's just not fair. I'm not growing. You're not growing me. You're growing them, and you're growing them, and you're growing them, but I'm not growing. And God's saying, it's your responsibility. I'm going to make it grow, but you've got to give me something to work with. Does that make sense? You've got to, give, you've got to do your part. You can't be lazy. You can't be apathetic. You can't just be undisciplined in your life and think that it's an automatic thing. 
But when you and I do what we ought to do, what we're supposed to do, God will always be faithful to do His part, which is to, which is to bring about continuous growth because the creation and the nurturing of growth is God's idea and God's activity. Now, here's the thing. I'm not talking to God tonight because how many of you know God can take care of His part? I'm talking to us. I'm talking to you. I'm talking to me. I'm reminding myself. And so if you and I are going to do our part, what does that look like? If spiritual growth is increasing our capacity to experience the presence of God, then how do we do that? And I'll give you three things. They're simple. And I'm like, I'm like having this conversation with God. God, I don't even know if I should say this. This is the Wednesday night crowd. This is all to be like the most devoted, most faithful, most consistent. But how many of you know, for all of us, we know a lot of things we ought to do, but we don't always do what we ought to do. So we know everything I'm going to mention, I'm going to mention it quickly. You're going to say, I know that. That's not the question. The question is, are you doing it? Well, I, I know. I know I ought to be doing that. That's not fundamentally the question. The question is, are we doing it? Three things really quickly. If you're taking notes, you may want to jot it down, and we'll do this. It won't take us long. Number one, learn to become a self-feeder. Learn to become a self-feeder, and you're like, I don't even get that. What are you talking about? Learn to become, and let me just give you an analogy here. Anybody here, do you like the idea of knowing that for the rest of your life, you get at most two meals a week? That's it. It's not like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's not even like breakfast, dinner, seven days. You get two meals. That's it. That's it. How many of you know that would not be a good thing for us if we just said, all right, over the next seven days, starting tomorrow, Thursday, between Thursday and next Wednesday, two meals. That's all I get. How many of you know, if you're like me, that's already very depressing because I operate with this mentality that God created pepperoni pizza and bluebell ice cream. That's what I feel. When we get to heaven, there's going to be bluebell ice cream bars everywhere you go, buttercrunch specifically, because I think that's God's favorite. So I eat clean all week long, Monday through Saturday and most of Saturday. But I'm just telling you, if you want a glimpse into my world, when I leave here on Sunday night, Katie bar the door, I'm picking up a pizza. I'm going to have some Bluebell, everything I've wanted all week long and have denied myself. Well, I'm going to consume it all on Sunday night to the glory of God. <laughs> but what if you knew that? You get one meal this night, seven days, maybe two. You'd say, well, that's just not a good idea. You get depressed thinking about it. You'd say, well, you know, that wouldn't even be good for me in a physical sense. I wouldn't be able to have this intense focus. I'd probably develop some serious challenges with my health. Uh, my health. All right, so you know where I'm going. Most of you are already ahead of me, but nevertheless, let me say it. What am I saying? One or two messages a week is not enough. One or two messages, that's like saying, well, you know what, two meals this week, that's all I'm, hey, I'll see you guys next Wednesday, but between now and then, I'm only going to eat two meals. You and I have got to learn to become self-feeders. We've got to learn, you and I are never going to grow to the zenith of our potential if we just say, you know what, I'm going to show up for church once or twice a week, get a message, and I'm not going to open my Bible again until I come back. We have got to learn how to become self Feeders every day getting remember that analogy of the baby that Peter used like like a baby crying out starving for milk that's how you ought to feel I ought to feel about God's word I like what Steve Farrar some of you have heard that name I love what he says take a look at it right here on the screen he says this he says one of the biggest problems with reading the Bible is every time I crack it open I keep getting the idea that God wants me to change is that true for you too? So, become a self-eater. Number two, we also have to grasp that as it relates to growth, prayer is not an option. If you, do you know this? Yes, you know this. Do I know it? Yes, I know it. Are we doing it? That's the real question. 
Now, if you wanted to enjoy a growing relationship with a family member or friend, what would you do? You would intensify. You would increase the communication with them. It would never develop. If you just said, I want to have a great relationship with them, but we don't ever talk. I want to have a great relationship with them, but we don't ever. I never call them. They never call me. We never meet for lunch. We never meet for call. We want, to, we want our relationship to become better, but somehow it's just going to happen. We're not really going to talk, meet. We're not going to do any of those things. Consider this in regards to prayer. It is the most intimate communion that you and I can experience with a God who created us and loves us. Dallas Willard's like a foremost authority on spiritual growth and formation. And I want you to take a look at what Dallas Willard said concerning this. He said, prayer, I love this, I love it. Prayer is talking with God about what we are doing together. That's rich, isn't it? Prayer is talking to God about what we are doing together. Thirdly, lastly, we also need connection with people. Yes, we need to read our Bible. We all know that. Are we doing it? That's a real question. We need to be vitally connected with God through prayer. We know that. Are we doing that? However, this matter of spiritual growth is always, catch this now, it is always accelerated when we're living this out in a small community of other Christ followers. When we get up and we talk about small groups, and we talk about small groups, and we talk about small groups, and some of you are thinking, I wish they'd talk, stop talking about small groups. That's all they're talking about, small groups, small groups. Is that all they're thinking about? Is all, that's all they're focused on? It's just so vital to our spiritual life and growth. And you and I, I know that we don't get involved in a small group because we have empty calendars. Anybody that I know well does not have an empty calendar. John Maxwell made that statement so many years ago. He said, the world is run by tired people. And that's true. The world is ran by tired. You and I don't get involved in a small group because we don't have anything better to do. We get involved with a small group, a small group in the context of a smaller community of Christ followers because it perpetuates, it accelerates our spiritual growth. We become involved in an atmosphere and an environment that compels us to want to grow spiritually because the people that are with us are wanting to grow spiritually. I doubt that the place, not knocking the place where you work, you probably work at a wonderful place, but I doubt that growing in God is one of the chief priorities of the people that you're working closest to. You and I need to be in that kind of environment. You and I need to be in that kind of atmosphere with like-minded people. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, forgetting or overlooking those people that are far from God. The Bible would teach the exact opposite of that. But you and I do need to be in a small con- where we're challenged and we're being challenged to grow. We can actually learn a valuable lesson from, of all things, geese. It is written, and I read, that they can go, geese we're talking about, that they can go 70% further each day by flying together than if they were trying to go about it on their own. 70% further because they're doing it in tandem together. There's certainly other things that we could talk about tonight. We're just about out of time. But as we're wrapping up, I want you to take a look at this statement. This is John Ortberg, one of my favorite writers and speakers. And he makes this statement. He said, the true indicator of spiritual well-being is growth in the ability to love God and love people. Now, I don't have time to talk about it. I wish I did. Here is a litmus test for how, and you and I can just sort of evaluate it real quick right here before we're done. am, Am I growing? Am I becoming more and more like Jesus? Here's how we know. Are we loving people more? People are made in the image of? And how can we say that we love? This is what the Scriptures teach. How can we say that we love God who we haven't seen if we don't love people who we've seen? A litmus test, a measuring, a marker, an indicator of our spiritual growth is do we love people? Not long ago, and I'm about done, I came across this story, and I brought it with me tonight. I, I forget which book it was in, but uh, in this particular book, uh, this writer, this author says this. He said, a pilot once told me his favorite airline story. An elderly couple were flying first class, sitting behind a businessman who was enormously frustrated with them. They had been just ahead of him in line at the gate and again boarding the plane, and they moved slowly, but he was in a hurry. When the meal was served, they delayed the businessman again by having to get some pills from their overhead storage, inadvertently dropping a battered duffel bag. What's the matter with you people? That's how he exploded. What's the matter with you people? He said loudly enough for the whole cabin to hear, I'm amazed you ever get anywhere. Why can't you just stay home? He said it loudly, wanted to be heard. 
To register his anger, the man sat down and reclined his seat back as hard as he could, so hard that the elderly man's tray of food spilled all over him and his wife. The flight attendant apologized to the couple profusely. Is there anything that we can do, she asked. The husband explained that it was their 50th wedding anniversary and they were flying for the very first time. Let me, she says, let me at least bring you a bottle of wine, the flight attendant offered. She did so. When it was uncorked, the old husband stood up. Old man did, prepared a toast. And then he poured the bottle over the head of the impatient businessman sitting in front of them. And the pilot told me, everybody in the cabin cheered. That is not the love of God. You and I are known. In fact, look at these last two verses. You can go ahead and stand with me. We're done. But let's read these verses. You want to know how you're doing? I want to know how I'm doing in my spiritual growth. It all reaches back according to Jesus to this. Let's read it. You must love each other as I have loved you. All people will know that you are my followers if... How do they really know that you're his followers? Because we love. We love people. We love each other. It's the beauty of the body of Christ. To me, the body of Christ is one of the most beautiful expressions of God himself, that he brings us together as a family. And we learn to love each other, and we learn to love people that are far from God and people that are not like us. And so maybe tonight as we wrap up, you just sort of do an inward inspection of your own life, and you just say, yeah, I want to grow because all of us want to grow. But what do I have to do? God is going to do his part. Would you agree with that? God is going to do his part. He always will. He always has. God is going to do his part. But you and I have got to do our part. And so even though it's like a Wednesday night, you're like some of the most faithful people in all the church because you're here on a Wednesday night and you're, you're growing and you want to grow, but it's just that nudging. Are you feeding yourself? You can't live on two meals a month. I can't. I don't want to. I want pizza and ice cream on Sunday nights. You and I have got to learn to feed ourselves. And if we're going to grow in our relationship with God, it's just not, it doesn't even make sense. It's not even congruent to say, I want to grow in my relationship with God, but I'm not really having conversations with God. And we make prayer way, way, it's a whole other story. We make prayer way, 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 way too complicated. I need to learn. You need to learn the value of just talking to God the way we do each other. And God wants to hear from us, and God wants to speak to us. And maybe you just needed that little nudge tonight. Say, yeah, I'm busy. I've got so much going on, but I know I need to get an environment. I know small groups start up after the summer months, and I've thought about it. I've debated it, but I just I need to go ahead and do that. And so what area do you need to work on next in your spiritual life? And God will help us all because God desires that we would grow. Paul said, hey, I planted. Apollos is the one who awarded but God is the one who makes things grow. But you and I have got to give God something to work with, don't we? And that's what we're doing tonight. So, Father, here we are. We make ourselves available to you. We pray that our lives would be like rich soil, that you can plant the seeds of your purpose and your plan in our life. We want to grow. We don't want to just go through the motions. God, we know that we need to be in your word. We know that we need to learn how to become a self-feeder. We know, God, that we need to talk to you more. And we get so busy and we say we are and we don't. And we plan on it, but it doesn't happen. God, please help that to become a priority, a pressing priority in our life. Help us to get into a context of other people where we can love and be loved and know and be known. Serve, be served, God. Help us to love the way you want us to love. Because when we love people, it really is indicative of the fact that we know you. So help us with that tonight in Jesus' name. Band is going to lead us for just a little while, but if you've got a need, whatever your need is in your family, in your health, your job, your finances, if you just got to make a big decision coming up or you're just like, wow, you know, I just want to grow in God, but it's not really, I'm not gaining traction right now. I just want somebody to agree. So they're going to start singing, and then you come, and then I'll come back in just a moment and pray a prayer of benediction. I give myself away. I give myself away so you.
worship team is going to sing for another five or ten minutes and you just feel free if you still have a need and you haven't come yet you just come we'll hang out around the front be ready bring somebody with you to church this sunday maybe you reach out to your dad and you're like dad you've you know i know you ordinarily don't come to church but it's father's day i'd love it if you'd come or son i know that you haven't been here or daughter i know you've not been in church for some time but it'd be so meaningful to me because i believe when we get people in an atmosphere of what god can touch their lives you never know what God might do. Thank you for being here tonight. Father, we thank you for this time together. Thank you that you want us to grow and you give us everything necessary. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless your people. Thank you for such an awesome church family that loves you and loves each other. Give us a great remainder of the week. Bring us back here on Sunday. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? I love you, everybody. Have an awesome week.